So if you see this little image up here, this is a little reminder as we go through today and has been a reminder the last couple weeks in this message series on body positive spirituality to remember to check in, check in with what you mask, check in with your body. Whenever you see this flashed up here, including now, by the way, check in with your breath. Check in with the state of your body. You know, if there's a particularly pleasurable sensation you're having somewhere, great. If there's some pain, well, I can't say great, but it is. So just take that opportunity to check in because especially sometimes when we listen to another person, we get entirely or solely into our head. But the way we really perceive is so much more with just with the rational mind. See that little icon? Remember to check in. This message series is all about overcoming some of what are called the dualisms of the Western philosophical and religious tradition. Dualisms that sound like spirit versus body. Spirit, you know, up here, elevated, body down here, fallen, not good somehow. Mind versus matter, as if the two are opposed to each other. Overcoming these dualisms is a profound way of healing our lives and getting back in touch with the whole of us so that we do not experience ourselves as somehow irrevocably broken or irrevocably fragmentary. Now, there are other ways that we split ourselves. I'm going to show you two right now. Some of you might recognize this character here. Trekkies, did I get that? Oh, God, I said Trekkers, excuse me, Trekkers, did I get that right? Trekkies, I heard, is, is kind of defamatory. When, oh, a double one over there. Trekkers is, is the self-identified moniker with which people who are fans of Star Trek like to refer to themselves. Mr., I'm not going to fall into this one, Mr., not Dr. Spock, he's not the child-rearing expert, Mr. Spock is associated with the head, the brain. Pure logic, pure analytical approach to life and living. And of course, there's nothing wrong with this. Mr. Spock has great gifts on the USS Enterprise because he sees through the lens of his logic. But of course, logic is not all that we are. Logic sometimes especially can be a dodge, a bulwark. A shield against real life. And logic can even become an abstraction. So I'm going to ask you to do a little telling on yourself here. Do we have any people who are Spocks by nature? All right, we got some Spocks by nature. I'm not one of them, by the way. We, we got my, my, my other side here, a dualism here, with this, with this other figure coming up. Remember the little prince? Oh, well, some of you are Spocks. And now saying, oh, maybe I'm not a Spock. Because a Spock does not see the little prince and go, oh... Well, one of the characters in The Little Prince, this child story that was very, very popular when I was a kid in the 70s and the 80s, and I hope it's being passed on to the next generation as well, too. One of the characters, the fox, says to The Little Prince, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Now. Those of us who aren't Spocks, maybe Little Prince kinds, and I'm definitely that kind myself. I love to take things in primarily through the heart, and of course, there's nothing wrong with that. The issue becomes when we take life in only through the mechanism of our love, our feeling, our emotion, our hearts, 
And we can sentimentalize life. We can block out from our perception that which doesn't resonate with our hearts immediately. And so we can miss a lot of life. We are more whole than either head or heart. We are so much more whole than either head or heart. Mindfulness, the tradition in which I am growing both as a spiritual person and also as an aspirant teacher. Mindfulness is very often associated when you hear the word, we think of mind. But actually the word in Tibetan mindfulness means heartfulness just as much as it means mindfulness. It is overcoming some of those dualisms that want to split us internally from ourselves and split us from other people. If they are a heart person or they are a Spock person and we can say they are on my side or they're on someone else's team. So I want to show you something right now that I think goes a long way towards healing this head versus heart approach to life. And it's this. I think you all might recognize this. This is the famous Da Vinci Atruvian figure, except you see something new that has been added to it, superimposed. What we have, some of us come to term the gut brain. You heard that phrase before, show of hands? Have you heard that? Okay, the gut brain. Now, I want to use this figure today, or the image, the ideas behind it, of the gut brain, of what exists at the core, the literal core of us, as a way to get beyond some of those dualisms, some of those splits. There's a great article in Scientific American Magazine, I think in 2010, that talked about the quote-unquote gut brain, also known as the enteric nervous system, associated with our digestive system. Now, the gut brain does not have conscious thought, does not have conscious thoughts in the same way our head brain does, but the gut brain is really an amazing thing. It acts within us very often independently from the head brain. There are a hundred million neurons in our guts, including, and I think this is a fascinating part, particularly as someone who is in his life has struggled with depression and struggled with anxiety and also struggled with my stomach from time to time, including neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Neurotransmitters that are associated with the regulation of happiness or pleasure or mental distress. Something like 95% of the serotonin in our bodies is not here, is down in here. This gut brain has an awful lot to do with how we process the world around us. But before we could see into ourselves and come up with such a thing as saying there is a gut brain within us. I think the poets and everyday language knew this. We talk about what is your gut instinct. I'm going to ask you right now, feel your gut, put your hands on your belly. What is your gut instinct? What does your gut tell you? What is your, hey, time is winding down here. Oh, I know some people don't like it, but that's all right. That's part of getting in touch with the core here today. There's no shame here. This is a shame free zone. Some of you are not doing it. Come on, put the, put the hands on the gut. Talk about your gut instinct. And sometimes your gut instinct is not to touch your gut, it appears. <laughs> we talk also about when we're nervous, we have butterflies. That's the gut brain telling us that maybe something in our atmosphere, something in our surroundings does not feel safe to us. We talk on the other side of fire in the belly. Fire in the belly when we feel, you know, empowered. We feel strong. 
I mean, these are images of core, core in almost the way we talk about a reactor, core which generates for us the energy that we need in life to live. This is why I think the image of the core and of the gut is something we want to learn to pay attention to, particularly if we might find, as some of you just did, I don't want to touch. <laughs> I mean, I'll cover up, but I don't, want to, I don't want to feel the gut. Core matters. Core matters because it is literally halfway, it is the balancing point between where the feet touch the earth and the head reaches for the sky. The core is where we can find Balance. I mean, I learned this lesson well and painfully a number of years ago. It was 2003, and I just had what was at that point, I thought, a very young surgery for a 33-year-old man. Double inguinal hernia surgery. Both sides. Outpatient surgery, was back home. Started to feel better within a week or so. And at this point in my life, I was running a great deal, and it really steamed me. It really burned me to have to give up my running practice so that I could get the surgery done. So after two weeks, went back for a checkup. Things were looking all right. Doc, when can I start running again? Give another week. So I went out after week three had started, after the surgery, and I did three miles. Ah, I thought, okay, this, this feels pretty good. I'm going to go for four miles tomorrow. Four miles. After that four-miler, a little bit of back pain, pain down in the area also where I had just had the surgery, but I was a stubborn and not terribly bright person at that point in my life, so I'm ready to go for five tomorrow, and I went out for five miles, and at the end, my back was really hurting, and I could feel that I didn't have the strength in the core that I had grown used to, and so I went and I took a shower, and I sat down on the edge of my bed because I was feeling a little, a little stiff. And then all of a sudden, my back seized. And I was like this, if you'll show it, a turtle. A turtle. <laughs> um, help. So I was living by myself at the time, and... Um, I couldn't quite reach the phone. And every time I tried to get up, my back would just oh, seize again. And only it was the urgency of deciding after an hour, was I really willing to soil myself? <laughs> that got, got me up off the bed and oh. See, my back was bearing too much weight because my core had been weakened and not listening to my core (laughs) meant I pushed myself too hard. Now, on the other side of this negative experience, I had a very powerful and positive experience with my gut, with the lower part of my abdomen about a decade before when the summer after my mom had died very suddenly, I've shared some of this with you before, um, I was in a very very grief-stricken, very anxious state. And I think the woman that I was dating at the time, not knowing what else to do with me, um, sent me for therapeutic massage. And I was very, very skeptical about this. I mean, I walked in and there were kind of whale sounds and chirping noises (laughs) and ocean sounds, and I was supposed to be so peaceful, and all I felt was freaking tense. 
You want me to get undressed down in my boxers and get where? Lie down? Face down? But I did it. And it actually started to release some of the tension I was holding in my body, so much of it in my core, because that's where I feel my stress. I don't know if some of you do. I feel my stress in my belly, in my stomach, in my digestive tract. And at the end, or towards the end, the therapeutic uh, massager um, said, it's all right if I move your energy around. By that point, I was relaxed enough to say, I don't believe this at all, but you can go ahead and do it. And without laying hands on me, started to move energy up my spine. All this energy that was like a knot that she just literally moved up my spine until it seemingly exploded right here at the base of my neck. And I got up off that therapeutic massage table and I felt six inches taller. It's because I believe that in the pain I was experiencing and the pain I really wasn't letting myself experience, my body, my gut, my core was telling me with all that stomach distress and all that tension, you had to listen. And what the therapist helped me do was release it. This profound energy that had congealed right at the core of me. There's powerful stuff that meets at our core. There's powerful stuff that meets in our guts. I mean, sometimes it even feels mixed up, all the stuff that's going on in there. Sometimes even colliding functions happen in the core. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who some of you may know, is an astrophysicist and very, very telegenic and does a great job of relating very complex scientific ideas to people who are not scientists like me and also is an acute critic of creationism by another name called intelligent design and so he has a little presentation called stupid design in which he said what comedian would decide to put an entertainment complex i'm not gonna i'm just gonna leave this to your imagination i'm not gonna use me as a model here would put an entertainment complex in the middle of a sewage system now that funny line aside I actually think it makes total sense, not from some grand plan of God who's up there in a cloud and said, let's put the entertainment complex right next to the sewage system. No, but I do think there is a logic here and that our digestive system is very closely related to and sometimes intermingles with our reproductive system. Because if we are more as human creatures than just our physical gestures and mechanisms more than just tubes and channels it makes complete sense that at this core of ourselves should be the place through which we learn to discern what is waste and what is creativity i mean the ancient tradition of the chakras in hinduism talks about manipura the third chakra is the place in which digestion and creation and creativity and waste and willpower and energy they come from so it makes total sense to me that our reproductive system and our digestive system should be so close to each other because in there we learn to understand that where power is generated power can also be denied and power can also dysfunctional that all these things should meet at the core of us makes total sense because when we pay attention to our core pay attention to our energy pay attention to what we take in and also what we give out in the literal and metaphorical sense we recognize that there is the power to hurt and there is the power to heal 
There is the power to experience both giving and taking profound human sublime pleasure and also the opportunity, sadly, for many of us to use or to experience that same sexual power as pain and as a degradation of another person. To know that all this stuff, this creativity, this energy is literally right at the core of us is to learn the greatest truth we can about being alive. How do we give voice to a life-affirming power? And how do we learn to work with the power within us that gives death instead of life? At our core are all our issues of power and powerlessness and stress and well-being. I know this. I do feel this right at my core at a time of stress within me. I come from a long line of dyspeptic people. I come from a long line of Eastern European Jews. I have many positive lineages, gifts from my uh, uh, genetic and cultural background. Less powerful or less positive, is the gassy one. <laughs> Particularly, in, I mean, you know, Alka-Seltzer was invented for my entire family genetic line. <laughs> Particularly in times of stress. Oh, my stomach. Oh, it really acts up, and I feel it. And, and by the way, I don't want to draw an exact causative line between the exact state of our mind and the stress that we're in and the state of our body because i think it's much more complex than just one thing it's about the environment and it's about genetics and it's about plain old dumb luck that factor in our health and too often when people draw too direct a line between how we're experiencing stress or dis-ease and the fact that that immediately somehow becomes disease in the body i find that very dangerous because it becomes a way to blame the victim and to distance ourselves from a person who is suffering with disease. And I know many people who have died very young who had very light, beautiful spirits. I know people who lived a long time who were nasty SOBs. So I don't think we can draw a complete line from one to the other. And yet, there is a mind-body connection. There is. So after I went, and about a year ago, and I was experiencing some pretty profound stress here, I know that something ministers don't want to talk about very often, but this is stressful. It's joyful, but I've got to be honest, it is stressful. And about a year ago, I was having some real gut pain. And I went to the doctor first, went to the MD, got it checked out, nothing wrong, but still the pain, there it was. So I did something that a friend recommended. You've got to get to yoga, my brother. And in yoga, I learned how to keep the core engaged when it was necessary. And I also learned to consciously let the gut go when it's necessary as well, too. This is what it means to keep the core engaged. Not to think that our core is only healthy when we have that, you know, six-pack abs. But that really it's about balance. I mean, think about breathing. Breathing healthfully is all about balance. Breathing in, breathing out. This is what we can find in our core. This is how we learn to have a sustainable fire in the belly. 
Not the fire in the belly that burns out quickly, the kind of fire in the belly that gives us energy to live our lives and to learn to use that power that exists right at the core of us, that creative, life-giving power at its best. How to use that wisely and justly and for the benefit of ourselves and for the benefits of other people. Fuel, the fuel we take into our body is power. How do we choose to use that power in this life is the most important question we can answer. How do our lives power ourselves in beautiful ways, wise ways? And also, how does our power help to not diminish other people, but lift other people up as well, too? This is why listening to the gut is so important. And by the way, listening to the gut is not necessarily agreeing with the gut. Listening is simply listening. It's one of our core values here at Wellspring is that we aspire to be people of integrity. And integrity means simply that we listen in a spirit of vulnerability and honesty to what is going on. When we can do this with the gut, listen to the gut, not just say, okay, my gut tells me to do this. I'm going to go ahead without thinking. We can listen to the gut. We can also recognize that in the movie, in the book of High Fidelity a few years ago, if you remember that, great line. The main character says, after a lifetime of simply going with his gut without any discernment, Sometimes he says, I've come to the realization that my guts have shit for brains. <laughs> Which is both literally and metaphorically just freaking awesome. <laughs> so, you know, this opportunity to get in touch with our core desires, it is a profoundly beneficial thing. I mentioned to some of you that in the last month, although I grew up Jewish and have never, other than visiting uh, Dalesford Abbey from time to time, and have ever in any way considered myself a member of the Catholic Church. But for Lent this year, I gave up sugar. I gave up sugar because I recognized it was a place I was going regularly when I was stressed. Fortunately, I don't do that with alcohol anymore, and that's wonderful for me and for everyone who's around me. But I was going to the sugar. Oh, those gobstoppers, any Willy Wonka candy. I was an addict. So it's been now, because I started before Lent, about five weeks, maybe almost six weeks, and the benefits have been just more than the physical. Yes, I think I've dropped four to five pounds because I'm not, you know, channeling all that sugar into me all the time. But this is the real gift, that when we listen to the gut, when we listen to our real hungers, we get to have the liberty of recognizing the shape of our hungers. I mean, what makes us really hungry? And not just for food, but also what food represents. What wakes us up to what motivates us? See, I'm at the place right now where I don't really miss the sugar anymore. But I'm in this beautiful liberty space where if I'm sitting down and I'm writing, I'm preparing the message like I did for today and it's not going well, ooh, I get to see that hunger pop up. I want a charms blow pop. Because <laughs> I'm stressed and I'm looking for fuel. But that's cheap fuel. That's not sustainable fuel. See, when we can open up this space and this relationship to our gut, literally and metaphorically, we get to get in touch with what our most profound hungers are. I mean, I think one of the reasons that something I want to show you right here is such a, uh, a powerful, scary vision. I am a big fan of The Walking Dead. And, and now I can actually come out of the closet as a fan of zombie movies. They have been one of my guilty pleasures for, me, for a couple decades. And, you know, by and large, zombie movies were complete uh, to borrow from my uh, Yiddish ancestors, they were complete dreck, you know? They were a guilty pleasure. Well, The Walking Dead made it actually respectable to be a zombie fan or a fan of the zombie genre. And, you know, why is it that 
there are so many zombie movies in the last few decades. I've heard a lot of people offer insight into this, and I think the particular reason is this, is that we live in an American society, especially right now, in which for many of us, not for all of us, but for many of us, there are so many choices about how we will feed ourselves, so many choices about how many gadgets we will play with, so many choices about what might provide us with happiness, and yet we're really not any happier. I think the zombies and the popularity of zombies represent the shadow side of desire and hunger without discernment. Because a zombie is just hungry and hungry and hungry and hungry and hungry and it never ends. A bottomless pit of hunger. Zombies for me are also a metaphor for addiction. But there's the opposite side as well, too, where we don't pay attention to our hungers. We don't pay attention to our primal energies. We don't pay attention to the gut. And where that ends us up is also something we're hearing about right now. Religious restrictions and repressions. The kind of religion that expresses itself as purity codes. The kind of religion that fears the body, that fears sexuality. And any time anyone wants to have a healthy conversation out there in the world about the fact that we are sexual creatures. I mean, the kind of conversation that our kids are having right up here in our in our whole lives our program that is about a grounded mindful heartful gutful approach to being sexual beings well there's not a lot of conversation that happens like that out in the world and so we've got this split this dualism a society that is afraid of talking about the reality of us as sexual beings and yet consumes i'm not talking about you individually here just talking about in the aggregate consumes pornography at a wild pace. So in neither giving in to the gut, nor in denying the gut, we can listen and find our own sustainable ways of living with life-giving fuel and life-giving power. See, because where we are in touch with our primal hungers, there we have choice. The choice to bless or the choice to curse. The choice to share our energy, our power with others or with other people in a way that lifts them up. Or in a way, fearfully, denies them their seat at the table because we are so anxious about our own. It is not a mistake that the ancient biblical prophets used hunger as their primary metaphor for wholeness. They spoke about that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice and peace. I want to leave it here right now with something that just came out this past week. And I've just started reading it, so I can't speak about it with any authority. But I'm going to do a spirit flicks message on it this summer. The Hunger Games movie was just released, and I've just started reading the book. And what it, you know, why is it called The Hunger Games? Well, I can get into the facts, and some of you know those, and actually I'm sure I'll screw the facts up because I don't know enough yet. But it is a society that lives in scarcity. It is a society that lives in fear. It is a dystopia, a society in which fear and repression and governmental power overwhelm the people, and they set teenagers off against each other as a form of punishment so that they will not starve to death. Why is this such a powerful story for our times? Why is it such a powerful story for our teens? Because I believe so many of us do not know what it is to experience peace 
and listening at our core. To understand when is enough and when is our enough and our desire for enough so much that we just start taking from others. And for those people who live in self-denial, never give themselves nearly enough to live or to eat or to thrive. We are all playing hunger games right now. The ones of us who are growing the most, who are experiencing the deepest wholeness. We are learning it's not about fearing our hungers run amok. Neither is it about our hungers being denied. Rather, it is about learning to listen to our hungers. Learning to live at the core. And through that, finding peace and being blessed. So I'm going to ask you again, folks. Hands on the belly. Take a breath in and out. Feel it expand. Loose and then... Suck it in tight. Sometimes it's tight, sometimes it's loose, but at its best, it's always flowing. When it's flowing, we are growing. Amen. And may you live in blessing. So let's pray together. O divine, sacred source of energy flowing through us, coming back to us. May we experience peace at the center, peace at the core, not by looking for stasis or complete equilibrium, but knowing that life is always flux and change. And if we can ride the waves of this change gracefully, prayerfully, lovingly, we will know what it is to have life-giving power, to live with life-sustaining fuel, to let our light shine. Let's let our light shine. Amen.